This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, this is Dirk Nowitzki, and you're listening to the Maps Step Back Podcast. TK. I like this, TK. I like that. Yeah, it's the Mavericks, all about action. Don't do no acting, no Samuel Jackson. Dirk at the ball, you know that it's magic. Post move deadly, yeah, it get tragic. Yeah, Look with the ball, tragic. yeah, it get nasty. He'll drop 30, don't gotta ask him. Don't got Chris Stapps, coach at the Adam. I spaz like Dallas, set out on rapping. God, if Lucas shoot the ball, you know that it's cash. But my boy still living the past. Now he got my boy Chris Stapps, looking like Dirk and Nash in the gap. They just wanna ring. Wanna all right, everybody, welcome into another edition of the Step Back, a Mavs podcast. I'm your host, Dalton Trigg. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host and Dallas basketball. Ball.com colleague Matt Galatson. We have a real treat for you guys tonight. Uh, we have the director of Mavs player personnel, uh, Tony Ranzoni. He is here with us tonight, just a couple of days before the NBA draft. Uh, so it, it, it's really nice we get to have him on tonight. Tony, how you doing? Doing fantastic. It's been a uh, busy last couple, uh, last you know year with everything we've been doing with the organization, and since last year drafting Luca and, and getting Kristaps in that trade, and now we're getting geared up for uh, another draft this Thursday. You know, with us holding the thirty seventh pick, and after that, you know, uh, free agency starts. So it's uh, it's this the, the NBA is now uh, it's year round. It's nonstop. There's always something happening, and it goes from after free agency you go to Red Summer League. And it continues free agency, so it's a busy time of the year. Absolutely, it 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 seems like the NBA and Matt and I we've talked about this on previous podcasts, but it seems like the NBA it's it's almost year round now, and it's great for the sport. And I know it keeps you busy, but uh, you know we'll we'll just jump right into it. Speaking of how busy you are, just give us a little bit of your background and and how you started doing what you do with the Mavs now. Well, I've been playing, you know, sports my whole life. I also played baseball, but basketball I ended up playing college at the University of Nevada. And uh, then I transferred and finished up at Long Beach State. From there, I went over and played in New Zealand and played in Australia, dabbled in the Philippines a little bit. Um, then I went to Italy and kind of like traveled around quite a bit with touring teams. And then I was fortunate uh, at age 27, I got an offer to coach uh, – at Arizona State in the Pac-12 at a very young age, and I was very fortunate. So I kind of gave up my playing career overseas and got right into the coaching. Spent a couple years at Arizona State and kind of a worldwide player. I I ended up going back overseas and coaching of all places, Saudi Arabia national team as a 27-year-old. And when I was over there, I ran into a place called Dubai in the United Arab Emirates, and it was like Hawaii, the Middle East, and ended up coaching a club team and a national team over there. And fell in love with it. Spent six years, and during that time, I was traveling with my team all around Asia, pretty much all around Europe. And and I've known Donnie Nelson for thirty plus years. And and by chance, I was uh, after our season, I decided to go to the Goodwill Games in 1994. And and of all people, Donnie Nelson's there was the only NBA scout over there recruiting and scouting the the World Championships and uh, sorry, the Commonwealth Games in in uh, Saint Petersburg, Russia. And it just by chance, he just kind of said, you know, hey, with all these international connections, this NBA is going to start going internationally like baseball. And, you know, you have all the contacts and you've been doing this for a while. And at the time, I'm not even thinking about coming in NBA. I already was in college. I was coaching overseas. I loved every minute of it. Um, I enjoyed it. And so he just kind of threw me. He said, hey, if you ever get a chance to come back to the States, come see me in Chicago pre-trapped and let's talk. You know, you should get you should, you're an NBA person that's going to be wanted in due time. And so fast forward, I uh, 97, I go in Chicago on a whim and just by chance he just said, hey, it's great to see you. What are you doing? And I just told him I'm actually going to be doing a coaching clinic in, uh, of all places, North Korea. Not South Korea, but the Republic of North Korea. And, he, and at the time, they had the seven foot nine guy there, Michael Rye. 
And, of course, you know, Donnie's antennas went up. It's like, how in the world are you getting in there? I said, I have no idea. <laughs> but they asked me to come, and I am actually going to North Korea to, to do a clinic. Now, that's a story in itself, because when I first trip I took over there, I flew into China. The North Koreans did not have my visa ready. So I was sent on a plane back to Thailand, which was pretty nice. And Germany, the FIBA governing of FIBA basketball, told me, can you do us a favor and can you stay in Thailand for four days and try to go back or we'll get your visa rearranged. And so I said, okay, I'll stay in Thailand for four days and hung out there. And at the time, when you fly from China to North Korea, there's only two flights a week. And yeah. when I went to uh, <laughs> Thailand, I think they only have one flight a month that goes to uh, North Korea. It's not a hotbed. There's not a lot of tourists rolling into North Korea and you can't get in there. So I'm getting ready to leave after my four days in Thailand, and i uh, ready to get on a plane on Monday. And they uh, literally called my hotel and said that we only have nine people on the flight. we got to have at least 13, and so they canceled the flight. So fast forward, I ended up going six months later, finally making it over there. But um, that's kind of how it all started. I ended up uh, meeting Don in Chicago, and his, at the time, Nelly was just with the Mavericks, got hired, and so literally the meeting lasted about 10 minutes. Nelly just said, hey, uh, you want to hire this guy? And I, he said yes, and, uh, he, and Nelly asked if I, would, if I wanted a Bud Light. I said definitely, because I really didn't care, because <laughs> I didn't know I was getting hired by the FBI. I was ready to go back overseas, and he liked the fact that I took a Bud Light right away, and Nelly said, we got to hire this guy. So <laughs> anyway, that kind of how it all started. I started with Donnie, 97, with the Mavericks. You know, we drafted Turk, and then the wild thing was at the time, Donnie said, you know, hey, with all your travels, I heard there's a Chinese kid in China that's pretty good. And I said, you know, I actually played against him in a tournament. So we ended up going on a plane. We both saw him work out again, and it was Wang Juju. And at the time, we ended up drafting the first Chinese player in the NBA, and we followed up with that with Ricardo Nahara, the, uh, you know, the first Mexican player in the NBA. And so Donnie and I have a 30-year-plus history of, of t being together and traveling and um, we ended up together and then, you know, I, uh, ended up going to the Detroit Pistons for, uh, 10 years and it was, a I had an opportunity to win the championship in 04 with Joe Dumars and we had a great run with six years Eastern finals and we brought a lot of guys in there that helped us win from Zelika, Rebrasha from Serbia, Mehmet Okur, Tayshaun Prince, you know, we go, Carlos Delfino and, and we oh, got yeah. Chauncey Groves in a free agency. So just, you know, fast forward and, and then, uh, from there, I uh, went with the USA Olympic team. Jerry Colangelo, Mike Krzyzewski asked me to join after our team got beat in 2006 in Japan. Mike Grease, who just pick and rolled us to death and spread the court on us. And <laughs> so I came with USA Olympic team in 2007 and spent until 2012. So I was fortunate to get a gold medal with the team in eight and the world championships in Turkey in 10 and then heading over to London in 12 and, you know, being around the best players in the world. And and then I went to Minnesota for a couple of years and a year and a half, things didn't work out. And I was out for about six months. And then fortunately, Donnie and Mark called and said, hey, you know, not to get the band back together, but let's get you back together. And so I came back and I'm very happy to be part of uh, Mavericks and, and our future moving forward. Yeah, and I, I'm, I know the I know the Mavs. I know the feeling is mutual there. I know they're very, very glad to have you on board. Matt, did you want to carry on from there? I, I that was uh, an incredible story, <laughs> um, <laughs> wasn't it? <laughs> you're a very you're a very well traveled man. Um, I'm curious though, with all these over, overseas trips that you take and um, all the scouting trips with Donnie, can you just give us a little insight into you know what goes into that and what that's like? Yeah, you know, so the, you know, it's, it's it's with Donnie and I are are sixty year plus years to you know of, of international experience combining us both is pretty impressive, and our relationships and in, in in today's game with the relationship with Asians, your relationship with people, especially overseas, gives you a huge advantage. And I feel in Dallas, you know, we do have an advantage. Uh, there's other teams that do great work at it, but you know, say it would take, you know some teams or other people maybe 15 days to get work done donnie and i could probably get it done in six seven days with our relationships and contacts so we get a lot done i think the hardest thing for anybody that does travel overseas is to learn what it takes for a player to translate their game into the nba and it's a different beast you know ricky rubio i knew real well been watching him since he's 14 on the on the national teams and 
you go to Barcelona and watch him play, and he may have four points, but he has six assists. But people don't realize that international basketball, an assist is a real assist, unlike the NBA where you make a pass and somebody goes through their legs around the back and scores and it's assist. Over there, it wouldn't count as an assist. An assist and actually you throw the ball to someone, they catch a score without right. putting the ball on the floor. That's called an assist. So anytime you evaluate international players, if they get four assists a game, you pretty much double it. Because in an international game, there's 35 less possessions compared to an NBA game. So the, statistically, it's hard for analytical people in the NBA to figure their system out because it's a whole different game. But, you know, regarding Donnie and I, you know, we figure out, you know, what direction we're going to go and looking at different prospects. And, you know, we look at guys that can translate to play in the NBA. We evaluate them pretty hard. We've done it for a long time, so we got a pretty good feel on what guys can do it. Like Maxi Kleber, I've been following since he was 16. Um, and was hurt and injured for a couple of years, got undrafted, and I never quit on him. And there's always those guys over there that you can find uh, that continue to get better. All of a sudden, he got healthier, and we went over there. And I told Donnie, I said, look, we got we to gotta get this guy. If we don't get him now, somebody's going to get him in a year from now. And we went over there and was able to get it done. And you look at Max, he came in as a minimum guy, and, and he's really helped our organization. So there's talent over there, and it's not going to stop. The game is not going away around the world. It's continuing to get better. Absolutely. And look, that, that that's a really cool story about Maxie, too, because, I mean, he's arguably he's the Mavs' best shot blocker right now. And, you know, he gives maximum effort on both ends of the court. He's really improved his three-point shot. And, I mean, what are the chances that a guy like that came from the same town that Dirk did? I mean, that, it's really cool when you think about it. No question. It was, it was in, and we actually, uh, when we went over there to go watch Maxi play, we actually stopped in Wurzburg and met, and met Holger uh, for lunch. And, and we brought that up that, you know, here's fast forward what we got Maxi two years ago. So 18, 19 years into Dirk's career, we're, we're getting a, a kid that who looked up to Dirk and barely knew Dirk really he didn't really know Dirk he went to his camp and met him before but didn't really know him and, had, and this kid has an opportunity to come play for the Mavericks and play with Dirk for two years and you know we're very fortunate to, to find that talent like that because he's just a great guy and works hard and he fits you know and he loves playing in Dallas and he loves the city right and you mentioned about Maxi. You, you know you said you uh, kind of discovered him when he was 16 and been following him since then. Well, really, it was kind of the same thing with Luca, was it not? Or, or was it was it at a younger age than that? What what was? Tell us a little bit about your role in you know discovering Luca and scouting him and ultimately him landing in Dallas. Well, Luca's um, you know I'm very uh, prevalent in, in Europe quite a bit. Um, you know, Slovenia is a hotbed, Serbia is a hotbed, Montenegro is a hotbed, Russia. You know, give and take certain times of how their basketball generation comes up, but the, the more or less Eastern Europe is really a hotbed. And France is coming off with a lot of players, and there are players everywhere. Now. I mean, Australia is coming left and right. I'm a huge fan of Australia right now, but. Uh, with Luca, you know, I saw him when he was young at 14 when he got transferred into Madrid because when you go to Madrid games, you're always watching the, the, the junior levels over there in, in their national team games. And right. when uh, I was, he was in a tournament with 18-year-olds. He was 15, and I'm sitting there day one, Madrid. I think he's playing France, and at the time, France had like maybe four NBA first-rounders on that squad. And I'm sitting there. Within the first two minutes, I see this he was probably six five, six four at the time. Blonde hair kid that was making plays and was just doing things that I haven't seen with a confidence level. And I literally just turned to my Italian guy Roberto, who works for us, and I just said, "That's the guy. Who is that?" And I just totally <laughs> just became fixated on him, and um, you could just see the talent. And then I, you know, I've been doing this for thirty years, and twenty years in the NBA, thirty years coaching overseas, and being part of the game, and. I've never seen a guy, and I've seen the guys from Vlade, Barcelona, we've seen them all, but never seen a guy who has taken over and became a leader in his age with a, not talking Wurzburg, we're not talking Division Two team in Slovenia, we're talking Real Madrid, who beats our NBA teams when they come over there in preseason, you know, uh, regularly. 
this team is one of the top teams in the world. And he plays in the second best league in the world behind the NBA. And this kid's leading them at 17 years old, getting on the floor, making plays. And um, I saw him against Oklahoma City when, when Madrid played him, and he guarded. And I remember Pablo Lasso, the head coach of Madrid, I said, how did that go down the end of the game there when you had uh, Luca guarding Russell Westbrook? And he said, he came in a timeout and told me at 18 years old, I want to guard him. So right there, you, you, you had a guy that had a DNA. I call it a wire that we, that's been wired a little different than most people. He just has that winning mentality. So when we dropped from three to five on the draft lottery night, that was a rough night in Chicago. Um, Fortunately, we were able to um, get him, and Atlanta got a good player in Trey, and Bagley's a good player for Sacramento, but we fortunately got the player that we, we wanted that we had number one on our board. Yeah, yeah, and I think, I think it worked out good, you know, for everybody involved, and, uh, you know, just the teams that those players went to, I, I think it, it, it just fits. And, I'm, yes. you know, every, everybody wants to say that uh, – you know all these things, and I I have to say I at times I have gotten caught up in you know the hype and you know have said stuff like well you know those two teams or basically three teams passed up on Luca and I mean I do I do believe he's going to end up being the best in that draft class but that's not to say that the rest of those players aren't aren't good as well. Correct, I agree with you. But you know just just moving on from that. Uh, it's my understanding that you've known Chris Stapps Porzingis and his family for a while. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. How how did that relationship start? And I mean, what were your initial reactions when that trade went down this this past season? And you know, he finally became a Maverick. Well, the the funny story is that we actually, you know, we had also Chris Stapps in our top two in the draft that year when he came out, and we tried to move up and, and get involved and it just never could happen um but scott roth used to work for us with the mavericks actually in the coaching uh chris Tops over in in uh, seville in spain so i was able to spend a lot of time over there and i knew i knew chris Tops brother Giannis because he was a former player uh, so i've watched him over the years i'm real tight with the national coach of the country i'm tied with the uh, there's a family called the Walters family that have four of their sons play all around spain so very familiar with the basketball people of latvia so when Kristaps is coming up um we had two of our scouts that actually went to the junior games and watched them and came back raving about him and then we continue to follow him but it, it was one of those dreams that look how are we even gonna get this kid we're not even in the in the there's no way we're not even the top five we're not, we're not going to get him so for us to be able to pursue him and, and get lucky and Donnie did a ph- phenomenal job and maneuvered it for us to get him in a trade was really exciting for us and the organization yeah and I mean I, we've talked about this a, a few weeks ago on the pod but you know when, when rumors they start swirling around that time of year and I, I remember seeing a couple reports saying that you know the the Mavs would be lucky to you know turn a trade package that involved Dennis Smith Jr. into say Jonathan Isaac from the Magic or something like that. So you know if you follow all that stuff, it, you were thinking like, well maybe maybe the the trade value isn't where you want it to be, and then bam, out of nowhere, you end up with Porzingis, which I mean they did have to give up some future picks. But, I mean, to me, it seemed like a really, really good deal. Very op- opportunistic, which is, I mean, as we know, that's what Donnie specializes in. But, I mean, I, I think it turned out great. Matt? Yeah, no, I mean, obviously that's, that was a huge, huge deal for the organization. It's a, it's a brand-new start with two young stars. And, you know, going into next year, there's going to be a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of hype around that. I just wanted to get your thoughts on how the two are going to, you know, work together on the court and um, maybe some things that they need to add around them in terms, not necessarily in terms of specific players, but just general player types uh, going into the summer. Well, they both have a unique skill, and that's is, is, is they have a, they have what I call a hand skill, and they have a mental skill and a foot skill, and that means basically they're just fundamentally skilled basketball players. They know how to play. Um, but again, like anything that takes time to mature and develop together, they're going to need some time on the floor together. 
but you know they're they're a, they're a nice one and five and combination players that they can play at multiple positions and coach Carlisle will do a great job in putting them in situations for them to be successful uh, and, and we got to get some other players surrounding them so I, I think the excitement I agree with you we're all excited for training camp um, and again they're they're young we got two young guys there it's just it'll take time um, they need time to grow together so we have to have some patience but we're excited um, to have both those guys who are you know, very, very skilled players. And, and it, you know, that's the thing today. You know, the game has become more skilled with the spacing. you got to be able to shoot. And, you know, both of them can shoot. Both of them can pass. And, and they both have different skill sets that are exciting at their size. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, everybody's excited about it. Uh, when you just look at it on, on paper and if you look at, you know, highlights from each guy individually and how they play, it's hard to see it's hard to find any excuse to say well these guys can't work i mean it just looks like it's a match made in heaven given their given their type of play so i'm excited for it i know a lot of other people are excited excited for it and tony we really appreciate you coming on with us i got one more point here uh we wanted to talk with you about obviously drafts coming up in a few days the Mavs have the number 37 pick. That's it for now. You know, things can change between now and then. But uh, it's my understanding. We talked a little bit earlier. You said uh, you guys had a mini camp earlier today. And, you know, there's been a lot of workouts and everything. But uh, just a, a couple of guys we'll, we'll throw at you here just to get your thoughts on. And, uh, you know, I like Shamori Pines. What, what, what's your thoughts on that guy? He, you know, one thing about Shamari Pons is one thing he's going to be able to do in the NBA is score that ball. I mean, he he just knows how to make plays. He gets in the paint anytime he wants. He's creative. He's tough. He's got that New York mentality to him. He kind of, he's bringing back the, the old point guard mentality that's been missing in New York. Um, you know, he's kind of all over the map, I would say, in the draft. But you're talking about a kid that's very talented, very skilled, played for an NBA coach, Chris Mullen, who we love and did a great job with him. Um, just a very exciting player, and again, scoring mentality, making plays, that's Shamari Pons. That's what he can do. And uh, I'll let Matt pitch in here with one with a guy he wants to ask about too, but this will be the last guy I ask you about. But what are what do you think about, you know, the Mavs potentially adding another Luka, and that, that's Luka Semantic. I mean, obviously – just because they have the same first name, different players, he's he's more of a, a big guy. But uh, how much how much uh, homework have you done on on Luca Semantic? What can you tell us about him going into into this draft? Yeah, a player that played really well in Chicago. If people haven't seen him, but a player that we scouted extensively over the last couple two, uh, two years, maybe five years, we've been watching him. Just to, again, the one thing about the European players is that. They're very skilled. They, they learn to play basketball with face in the basket, where still to this day I'll go to AAU games where my kids play or I'll watch youth basketball. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's the generation of putting our kids back to the basket. Maybe the kid is 5'10 when he's in 5th grade, but the problem is when he's in ninth grade, he's still 5'10 and he never developed any hand skills or ball skills. Where the Europeans, you go watch them practice – we're getting better in America today. We are. We are. And the AU starting to see it a little bit. still not there. But the thing about Simonovich or any of these European guys is that they learn to face the basket. They learn right. how to create space. The, 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 the quickness doesn't really bother them. Um, their, their footwork is so good. It kind of It's like the old school Larry Bird who are Dirk Nowitzki. They never would win a foot race in practice. They wouldn't win any foot races. But the footwork was off the chart. So when I evaluate talent, I'm really into watching the feet, how they move, how their balance, their stopping goes, um, and, that, and that's really important. And also the mental skills is, you know, a lot of these kids from here, like, for instance, you know, Simonovic, he's from Croatia. He, he left and he's living in Slovenia. Now it's close right down the border, but still, same thing with, uh, you know, Luca. He left Slovenia at a young age and went to Madrid on his own. So a lot of these guys very mature coming into the league, being able to adapt, living in another country, another place, and have to learn a new language. So, again, the skill set, the foot skills in these guys are important, and a kid, kid like Luca, that's what he has. Matt, you want to throw yeah. a name at him? 
Yeah, the, the other one I was curious about is it's obviously another uh, European guy, but um, and I'm going to butcher this pronunciation because I'm, uh, uh, <laughs> I'm not as familiar with all the <laughs> intricacies of the different different uh, languages over there, but um, Diavitas Servitas, is that correct? Oh, yes, yeah, the, the Lithuanian. They, man, yes, you're sir. better than I am. Trust me, I butcher <laughs> every name. I butcher American names. I give everybody nicknames. I give everybody nicknames, and it's a lot easier. Donnie and I, might, Donnie might be close second to me, by the way, in butchering names, but we're, I'm awful. So you did very well, Matt. I, I'm gonna give all credit to you, and he did very well. He's a Lithuanian kid. He's a shooter. Um, you know, we're we're very close to the Lithuanian. Uh, we have Alvidas that works for us, in Lithuanian. We got Donnie, who's worked with the Lithuanian national team for years, and um, so you know, he's a nice player. Um, don't want to say too much about him, but you know, he, he can. He knows how to play. He's a shooter, uh, thin frame. He's getting a little stronger, but I'm going to kind of limit my uh, comments on him, though. I understand. Okay, well, what? Go ahead, Matt. No, I was I was just going to say I understand. Um, you know, there's <clears throat> there's obviously not a lot you can say around draft time, but yeah, um... it's kind of got to be quiet, <laughs> quiet time. But I'm trying to give you guys a little a little uh, a little say, but I it's, I, I don't want to give too much, but. It's an exciting time for the draft. We're, we, you know, last year was unbelievable for us. We're excited. We're going to be, be excited this year. We feel there will be a good player getting down there, whatever we do. And um, just moving forward, there's exciting times in the organization. we got a phenomenal owner, Mark Cuban, a phenomenal leader, Donnie Nelson. And, you know, I'm glad to be part of it. And, and thanks for you guys, too, for all the work you do and support. And I know you guys are the real true, true fans. And, and I follow you guys, and I appreciate it, and I uh, appreciate you having me on your show. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, Tony. Well, look, we really appreciate it. We thank you for your time, and hopefully we can do this in the in the future sometime. So we, we appreciate it. Sounds good, guys. Thanks. Have a great night, and have a great week, and we'll talk soon. Yes, sir. We'll see you. <laughs> Thanks, Tony. All right, everybody. Again, that was Tony Ranzoni. He is the Mavs Director of Player Personnel. Uh, he has a big, big say in uh, who the Mavs are looking at, and you know stuff like that. He, he, he's basically Donnie's right hand man, and you know he's he's well traveled, as you guys heard. He's he's looking at these kids at a real young age, and he has a real eye for talent. And uh, we appreciate him for coming on the pod. But guys, we're gonna take a quick break. We're gonna come back. We're gonna recap our conversation with Tony. And then we're going to recap the Anthony Davis trade that just happened recently. And we'll also look forward to what we think is going to happen in the draft this week with the Mavs and free agency coming up in a little over a week. So hang with us. We'll be right back. All right, everybody, we're back. Uh, Matt, what did you? What, what are your initial thoughts from our, our conversation with Tony Ranzoni there? Um, my my, I have two thoughts. Uh, the first one being, I cannot imagine what it's like traveling that much and how cool right? that jo- how cool that job <laughs> must be to just go all over the world watching basketball. I would never go to North Korea, but everywhere else, I. I could find myself. Uh, I think that's an incredible job, and that's an incredible story. The second thing is when I mentioned the Diavitas Servitas guy, who <laughs> I, I, I'll be honest with everybody, I was kind of just looking for another European name because Dalton stole the one that I was going to ask him about. <laughs> <laughs> so that was the first one I saw. So I was like, oh, I'll just ask him about this guy. And then he just completely shut it down, which makes me think maybe there's a little <laughs> bit something more to this. Don't, don't need to uncover too much about the guy, you know? I mean, <laughs> yeah, like let's. I'll tell you all about these other guys, but wait, hold on. I don't want to talk about him right now. It's like, okay. Yep, yeah. Sure. Yeah. It's very interesting. And, and like Tony said, when. You know, when it gets around draft time, there's there's only so much you can say about some of these guys. But yeah, that that, that was very interesting. Uh, there's a lot of guys to keep keep an eye on for the Mavs at number 37 uh, later this week. I mean, and I mean, look, 
Matt, we we don't even know for sure if they're going to end up keeping that pick. You, you know, you never know what can come up, or they might use that pick in a salary dump for Courtney Lee, or uh, you know something to that effect. So we don't even know if they're going to keep that pick, but if they do, uh, we got some great insight from Tony there, and uh, you know, uh, definitely that last name might be one to keep an eye on if if you're a Mavs fan. So. That was fun, Matt. We're just gonna go on into our, our next topic here, and that's the Anthony Davis trade. You know, it uh, it happened right before Father's Day. Uh, Anthony Davis going to the Lakers, uh, Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, and Josh Hart, and uh, I think about three first round picks are going to New Orleans. Yep. Uh, which means, you know, LeVar Ball is going to New Orleans as well. Can't say I'm I'm thrilled about that because, you know, that that's my place down <laughs> down there, but hey, we'll we'll make it work. But what what's your initial thoughts on that trade and I mean, how do you think the Pelicans came out with that package they got? Um, I was shocked. Uh when I heard you know, the first initial report saying that they were talking again and that, you know, the Lakers were, uh, or that, well, I guess it was that Anthony Davis and, and uh, Clutch Sports, you know, told the Lake, told the Pelicans that he wanted to be in LA. And I was like, oh, here we go again. Yeah. And I was just going to crash and burn because, you know, Lakers. But I, I think they could have done better. Um, but obviously I think the best package they could, they, you know, that I had in my head was apparently not even available to them. And that's, uh, involving Jason Tatum in Boston. Um, I don't think anything special about Josh Hart or Brandon Ingram. Uh, Lonzo still has a long way to go. Uh, but he, he, he's probably the, I mean, definitely the best of that group. And the three first-round picks is nice, too, and draft picks are obviously very important. Um, I just I can't believe that, you know, they didn't want Kuzma. Like, I, or, I mean, I guess they did, but I, I can't believe that the Lakers were so adamant about keeping that or keeping him. And it's just like, if it's Kyle Kuzma that's holding up this deal, then you just say, okay, we'll fine, take him. He's, you know, worse Harrison Barnes. So, I don't know. But, but yeah, I mean, look, I I don't necessarily I don't necessarily believe that that Kyle Kuzma was the guy that was holding up a deal uh even though I mean that that's what we saw, but I mean to me and I, I've said it before if if the Pelicans really wanted Kyle Kuzma and that was the deal breaker, Kyle Kuzma would be a Pelican right now. Yeah. Cuz I mean, I I really just don't believe he was he was a deal breaker. And to your point about you know the Pelicans, you know that you said that they they could have done better. I really don't know if they could have. I think they probably could have, uh, you know, back around the trade deadline or even even say last summer if this had had come up sooner. Uh, kind of like uh, kind of like the Kyrie stuff did or the Kawhi Leonard stuff, but. You know, I, I don't think that they could have done much better because, uh, you know, we've seen reports that Boston, they weren't willing to give up Jason Tatum. Um, you know, I think the Nuggets, they were involved in some, some talks for Anthony Davis, but they didn't want to give up Jamal Murray. Uh, and, I mean, why would you give up those players for a one-year rental when a guy is adamant, you know, saying that he's going to sign – with the Lakers, you know, after this next season anyway. So I understand not giving up players like that for a one-year rental, but, I mean, I I think I'm just glad that they squeezed the Lakers for everything they possibly could. And another little wrinkle that made me happy, and we've discussed over the last few days, is that, you know, if they – the trade can't be executed until – july 6 but you know if, if they do it july 6 the lakers will have about 23 million in cap space and it could be 27 but you know it's it's been reported that anthony davis is going to keep that that 
trade bonus he gets. Uh, so if the trade is done on July 6th, the Lakers will have $23 million in cap space. If they waited, if the Pelicans agreed to wait until July 30th, then the Lakers would get like, uh, I want to say it's seven or eight more million in cap space. And so then they're getting close to a max slot that they could add another another guy with Anthony Davis and LeBron James. But, I mean, everyone is saying that that's not going to happen. I mean, yes, it's it's possible that that trade could be delayed to July 30th. I don't think it's going to happen. There's no incentive whatsoever for the Pelicans or whoever ends up with the number four pick to help out the Lakers. Why would they help the Lakers add another max player? It makes no sense whatsoever. So I, I think that's a that's a non-story. I think it is going to happen on July 6th. The Lakers will have $23 million. And, you know, all the rumbles about Kimba and uh, Kyrie and everything, I think they're more likely to end up with a guy like D'Angelo Russell coming back to Los Angeles uh, than those other guys. So what what are your thoughts on that? Uh, Well, I feel more confident about them not getting Kimba now than I did before the trade. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Just because because of those reasons that you mentioned. Um, I know when it initially happened, you were just texting me and you were freaking out, but then once we – figured out the numbers and all that man i i went i went into a dark place for a few minutes there (laughs) yeah but (laughs) but you know once we got everything figured out i think we both came to the realization that okay so that basically narrows kemba down to charlotte and dallas because i I never i i I don't think there's a chance he goes to new york um over dallas yeah yeah Um, i don't i i really don't think he wants to play in new york yeah but i mean Going back a little bit, it's. I guess I, I shouldn't have used the word better, because I don't know if there was better out there, necessarily. But like what I really what I really meant by that was, I'm just not impressed by the package. I I I, I don't think Brandon Ingram is anything special. I think he was supposed to be special, and he just never really reached it. You know, uh, I missed my opportunity to have a. A Michael Scott, that's what she said moment. But anyway, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> and then, like, I mean, Josh Hart is is fine. Lonzo Ball is fine. Um, I think he's going to match really well with Zion. But, I mean, basically all you did was you became worse Lakers with Drew Holiday. So... No, and what what's really funny, and I, I mean, I know everybody expected Julius Randle to opt out anyway, but it was so funny that, you know, he waited until after this trade to opt out of that, that player option he had with the Pelicans. It's just like, uh, I've already done this, guys. I'm, I'm not doing this again. <laughs> yeah, and then, like, I get that they're going to have Zion, but that's not really something you take into consideration when you're just discussing the trade. I mean... Yeah, Zion's going to be great, and Drew Holiday is fine. We don't even know if they're going to end up keeping Drew Holiday or not. He might end up being traded, uh, for all we know. So, I don't know. It's just it's it gives them a chance to reboot and and restart everything and see where it goes. Um, I, I just I I'm just not a fan of the the actual players that they receive back. The picks are, are that's going to be great. Because I, I don't think the Lakers are going to end up being as good as everybody thinks they are. Because it's LeBron, AD, and what like Moritz Wagner. Yeah, That's they. All they, have they on the roster. It's going to be very very hard for them to fill out the rest of that roster. And you know, when you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis, I mean, you obviously have a have a certain floor that you can't go past. As far as you know, being a bad team, so they're they're going to win games, and you know, depending on who they surround those two players with. And look, I I mentioned D'Angelo Russell with that twenty three million dollars that they'll have in cap space, but you know, if if they can't get Kimba or Kyrie at that point, instead of bringing Russell back, you know, something they've already tried before, 
they may decide to do like what we've talked about, you know, at DallasBasketball.com with the Mavs splitting their aces, so to speak, and, you know, using their cap space on multiple uh, guys to add to the roster instead of just one big fish. So, you know, that at that point, I think that might be their best bet if they want to be, you know, more competitive or if they want to live up to a little bit of, of what the expectations have become now because obviously they've skyrocketed. Uh, they already have the, the Lakers as, you know, betting odds, favorites for the to win the title next year, which I think is – Oh, my God. Like, I, I, I was hoping you were going to mention this. I'm sorry to interrupt, but this that's, no. the, that's the dumbest <laughs> – I'm trying not to make this podcast podcast explicit, <laughs> but that is the dumbest <laughs> thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Like you literally have the team that just won the title that is returning everybody. Probably, I mean, Kawhi just bought a house in Toronto. I think he's going back. Then you have the Warriors, who even without KD, still have the core of the team that won 73 games. I mean, give me a break. Yeah, and look, before before we get too far into that, I absolutely agree. I think Toronto should stay there. But, you know, when they make those odds, I feel like they do so, you know, factoring in the un- uncertainty around free agency. And then, obviously, uh, the, the Warriors are going to be without Clay and, and KD next year, whether they stay or not because of the injuries. Uh, but I don't know if you saw the parade – uh, for the Raptors today, but uh, at one point they were the fans were chanting one more year, one more year, and and uh, you know Kawhi was kind of vibing with it, and then Kyle Lowry he interrupted and he put up five fingers and he was like, no, five more years, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah. Kawhi's uncle Dennis, you know the that was in the news with the Spurs stuff going on all last year, he was in the background doing the the five more years chant too, so. You know, you can you can't put too much stuff too much stock into something like that, but I mean, that kind of kind of tells you how they're feeling right now. Yeah, no, I think they're feeling great. Um, I just I can't I just can't imagine what like I get that it's like two probably the best four players in the NBA on the same roster, but you have to have other players. You like, have to have other players, that, and you have to. To me, see, Anthony, as good as Anthony Davis is, he still has some stuff to prove. I mean, he's an All NBA talent, but he hasn't proven that he can, you know, carry his team to playoff wins. And no, he has no playoff history. Yeah, I mean, he's only been to the playoffs a few times, which, you know, being being paired with LeBron, maybe maybe that changes everything for him. Uh, you know, it, it definitely did for Kevin Love and, and Kyrie, so I don't know. We'll see. But I, I agree. The the championship odds thing, it's ridiculous. You know, that Vegas is all about money, and they're trying to, you know, take advantage of the, uh, the hysteria that's going on immediately after this trade happened. Right. So. But, like, okay, what, what, did, what did we learn about NBA rosters during the finals this year, during the playoffs? It's that you need depth. I get that like the Warriors have been phenomenal the last few years, but look what happened when they lost, you know, when you lose one or two guys, you don't have anybody to step up and fill that role. You're playing D-League players. And then look at Toronto on the other side who can play 10 guys. I mean, that well, makes I'm a not- difference. I, I'm just, let me just, I just need to get to the end of this point. That makes a difference in not only the regular season and the wear and tear on the players' bodies, but also when you're the Lakers and you look at it, you have 35-year-old LeBron who's coming off a significant injury, and we don't know if his body's going to continue to be Terminator level as he you know goes into his later into his 30s. And then AD is an injury-prone player. So what happens when you lose those guys? Well, and I mean, you obviously need depth, but I mean, I don't think it's as simple as depth. You have to have a a transcendent talent on at least one. And I mean, that's what you've seen with Toronto. They've they've had depth for the last what? 2-3 seasons. 
and they never could get past LeBron's Cavaliers in the in the Eastern Conference. Right. And then all and, and then all of a sudden, you know, you plug you, you get DeRozan out of there, you plug Kawhi Leonard in there with uh with Danny Green and bam, you have a champion. And uh, you know, they they swapped out Valanciunas for uh Mark Gasol and I mean, they have a ton of depth, and they're a good defensive team and everything, but they also have Kawhi Leonard, who is, you know, one of those top four players that, that you mentioned earlier, and that Number that's one, that has probably. a big thing to do with it, too. Huh? Number one, probably, but, like, yeah, no, I, I, mean, I, I know it has a lot to do with it. What I'm, what I'm saying is, it, it, what it does to me is proves that you don't need to have a big three and that you can have maybe a big one or a big two, and then fill the rest of your roster out with more affordable, good players, and still have a chance to win a title. Well, and see, this is this is kind of, and I know I'm I'm kind of steering this into my next point here, but this has kind of been my argument, uh, you know, for Kimba Walker. I know a lot of people are probably sick of me talking about Kimba. It's become the Kimba podcast here, but. Uh, you know, if you if you look at the other places he could go this summer, like say he goes to the Lakers, you go to the Lakers, which if he does, he's probably going to end up having to take at least an eight to ten million dollar a year pay cut, which I don't see happening. Uh, but if he goes there, then you've got Kimba, Anthony Davis, LeBron James, and a bunch of minimum contract players veteran minimum players so if you do that i mean you don't have any depth whatsoever you're in the west uh so it's already hard enough you have to have some depth to survive in the west uh you know if he goes to the knicks that roster isn't good at all uh i mean if he went to brooklyn i could i could probably see that but just overall his best situation has to be the Mavs, in my opinion, because you not only would you have a big three of Kimba, Luca, and Kristaps Porzingis, but you know they're they're going to have some depth too. You're going to have Dwight Powell back, which I know you can be mixed on him sometimes, but I mean he's he's really good at what he does. Uh, and you're going to have the majority of your bench back, you know, given given restricted free agency and. Uh, you know, they have bird rights to a lot of these guys. So, I mean, it's looking like the Mavs would be able to create a big three and still have some some decent depth uh, to support those three with. So, I, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but that, that's my thinking heading into free agency, and that's one reason why my, my Kimba confidence meter is back up to where it is because I, I'm just looking at it you know, from a distance and saying, you know, that this could really work. And it's not, you know, yeah, it's using the majority of the cap space they currently have, but they could create more cap space with, with Courtney Lee, and then they'll have the, the mid-level exception, and then you can get into the veteran, veteran minimum contract. So I think they can put a more rounded team around those three than most think. It's not just Kimba and nothing else. You can make... You can make a good team around those three with a lot, a lot better supporting cast than what the Lakers can. I'll say that. Yeah, no, I agree. I, um, especially if they're able to move off of Courtney Lee, and I, I really hope Tim Hardaway Jr. But you know, they have a that. That's the thing about this this second unit, and and one of the reasons I don't want Dwight Powell as a starter is because I think that with the second unit and the guys they already have there with Brunson and, you know, um, Justin Jackson and Maxie and, and J.J. if he comes back healthy and Dwight, I, I think that's a really – that's one of the better second units in the NBA. I mean, we, we've seen that at, at certain points. So when you go back and you look at, um, you know, the discussions we've had in the past with uh, – arguing back and forth on Kimba. I, I, we did a lot of that, at least I did a lot of that, without the, without the you know, um, the idea of being able to move off Courtney Lee because we didn't know what the draft pick was going to be yet. And, you know, we didn't really know how things were going to shape up. Now, 
uh, when you look at it, it's okay. Technically, they have enough for Kemba already, minus you know one or two million dollars. But as soon as they're able to move off of even one of those guys, you open up room for a whole new, you know, a whole new uh, realm of players that I didn't think they were going to be able to go after before. Even with signing, or you know, with signing Kemba, so um, you can move, you could pack it. I mean, this this isn't a, necessarily a good idea or an idea that we think is going to happen, but just you know, uh, Courtney Lee in thirty seven for Goran Dragic, and that gives you another another bench player that you know. This is also the Goran Dragic podcast. Um, it gives you another another player that you can add that adds depth and it's a good player that's effective and it fits. So there's a lot of different things you can do even when you sign Kimba. And I had a hard time accepting that at first because I just looked at the raw numbers and I said, you know, they can, they barely have enough to afford him now. And if they afford him, they can't sign anybody else. But obviously my feelings on that have changed a little bit. And I just, you know, it's, it's a much, it's a much better situation than almost anywhere in the NBA for him, Brook, like you mentioned Brooklyn, and I think Brooklyn is the one place where there would be an argument against having, you know, against, da- you know, if you if you stack it up next to Dallas, that's one of the only places I can think of. Well, I mean, even even then, though, I mean, they've got good get, good depth on their team, but, I mean, they don't have Luka and Kristaps either. I no, mean, yeah, exactly. That, that was, that was going to be one of my points, is, like, they don't have two yeah. young superstars, but also – they already seem pretty locked into Kyrie anyway. Yeah. So, it, it from what I can tell, and you know, just kind of reading the tea leaves, it's either Kyrie goes to Brooklyn, and you know, basically kicks D'Angelo Russell out, unless they want to play both of those guys together, which would be insane. Or he takes a pretty big pay cut and goes to L.A. So, and, you know, that knocks out two possible Kemba destinations, except for the Knicks. We've already gone over that. So, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, like I said, we uh, we only have to wait uh, a few more weeks. Uh, it's exactly, well, it was exactly two weeks from yesterday when free agency starts. Uh, so, yeah, that'll be, and we won't have to wait until midnight this year, you know, until it's technically July 1st. They they moved it up. I think it was 6 p.m. They moved it moved it up to on uh, June 30th. So, uh, Good luck getting we, sleep that night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, it, hey, we'll get to, at least you'll get to get a little bit of sleep maybe because usually after the first couple of hours it, it kind of slows down. But, yeah. Uh, but, you know, obviously we have to do the draft first. That's later this week. Uh, Matt, before we take off here, just uh, just a brief, brief prediction here. What what do you expect from the Mavs this Thursday? In the draft? Yeah. Yeah, what, what do you think they're going to do in the draft? I think they're going to trade the pick. Um, I think that I'm going to – be determined to have Goran Dragic as a as a Dallas Maverick until oh no 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 <laughs> they they can't do it this early Matt <laughs> until until the very end uh, and that's an opportunity for it to happen but honestly I, I think the more I think the more likely scenario is they trade the pick um, and Courtney Lee just to, or something else attached to it just to to move off of some money and um, you know. And get some more cap space. You know, one thing that I I was I was just looking at a mock draft recently, and you know, obviously since the Mavericks don't have um, a lottery pick this year, I haven't been doing as much draft work because, you know, I I, I honestly I haven't thought they were going to keep the pick for a long time. But uh, the last mock draft I saw had your boy Matisse Tybel, uh going up to pick number twenty seven to the Nets, so he dropped that far. So I was thinking, well, maybe if the Mavericks really like him a lot, maybe they could package something together and, and move up to pick 27 and snag him. Or, you know, if they decide to keep the pick, um, by the reaction that we got from, from Tony earlier in the podcast, I, I wouldn't count out the idea of them uh, getting that Servetus guy from Lithuania. So what about you? Well, me... 
I, I'm kind of like you. I, it just feels like they're not going to hold on to that pick, but I don't, I don't necessarily think if they do trade it, I don't think it's just going to be for, you know, trading Courtney Lee into somebody's cap space just for the pick and get nothing in return. I think if anything, they, they might try to take advantage of, say the the Oklahoma City Thunder who you know we know they've been shopping around that number 21 pick uh for a couple weeks now and I mean I I'd have to just look at it and come up with a bunch of different scenarios I haven't done too much homework on it but you know I could see them doing something like that swapping the number 37 pick for the number 21 pick and you know have a couple players here and there going back because the main thing with uh, Oklahoma City is they're trying to save some money, uh, and I, I think I, I could see something with that. I, I could see something with like what you were talking about, even if it's you know the, the the number twenty-seven pick. So that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking if if they do trade it, it's going to be to move up. And I mean, man, if they got my guy Matisse Thibel, I would be so happy. I mean, there's a lot of guys in that that late first round range I'd be happy with. Matisse Thibel, uh, who's that? Uh, who's that guy from Oregon? Bowl Bowl. Well, yeah. I haven't really watched it yet, but uh, you and uh, our friend Kirk Henderson were raving about him in our in our uh, conversation earlier. So maybe I'll take a look at him. I mean, look, the thing is, if if I had a top ten pick. I'm I'm not going to use that top 10 pick on him. But when you watch him it's just fascinating. Like even Kristaps, he he's like a how can I say this? He's like a more mobile big guy even though he's you don't see him doing too much dribbling and you know between the legs behind the back stuff like that, but you know Bobo <laughs> he's he really is another unicorn like some of the stuff he does dribbling the basketball he shouldn't be doing at seven foot two and you know like like kurt was saying when we were talking earlier you know he's basically a seven foot two shooting guard it's incredible but anyway you guys go check him out i know uh there was a, a mock draft earlier today that that had him falling all the way down to number 37 so i don't think he's gonna fall that far i think it's gonna be in that that low to mid 20s range for him but hey if he did fall down to number 37 not only does that give you a good prospect to consider taking at that point but it also raises the picks value in my opinion so it'd be a win-win for the Mavs but I think we're on the same page here I think neither one of us expect them to just keep the pick and not have any movement on draft night I think something's going to happen yeah and if you look back at the history of, of their draft they make trades more often than not, whether it's moving back or moving up or moving out of it completely or <clears throat> or whatever. So if, if, if you go into this draft thinking the Mavericks aren't considering making a trade, then you're just not looking at the history. Right, yeah, definitely. And like I said, that's going to be here before you know it. It's going to be Thursday night. Uh, it's going to be a long time before the Mavs are on the board, but – we're going to stay up for it and see what happens. So that's going to do it for this episode of the Step Back, everybody. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you enjoyed our conversation with Tony Ranzoni. Uh, Matt, is there anything you want to say to the people before we take off here? Uh, no, not not a whole lot uh, other than, uh, you know, <clears throat> Dalton and I have been doing some work on DallasBasketball.com lately. I have a very in-depth uh, Goran Dragic piece that I put out recently and uh, Dalton has some of his own stuff out there as well that it's um, you know we're, we're trying to cover as much as we can uh, for this upcoming free agency and draft for you guys and uh, also if you wanted to take a look at our Patreon account uh, you're more than welcome to do that as well it's uh, you know it's it's nothing's expected but we appreciate all the support um, that we could possibly get so just head over to uh, patreon.com slash stepbackmavs to check that out and, uh, yeah, I think that's just about it. Yeah, and uh, like we've talked about in the past, uh, we're going to have some incentives for that that Patreon account coming pretty soon. We've got some pretty dope T-shirt concepts we've been playing around with, and 
I think they look really good and you know we're going to start giving those out uh, to people that sign up for that so that's something to look forward to like Matt said just uh, keep up with everything on dallasbasketball.com we're, we're, we're trying to cover every angle uh, as we get closer to the draft and free agency and also stay with us here at the step back we, we took a much needed week off last week but we're back in full swing we're energized we're ready for the the off season that awaits the Mavs so guys we appreciate it thank you for coming in and listening every week be sure to like rate subscribe subscribe and uh, share with all your friends we'll see you next week have a good one Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metric's second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.